Hey, this is Jesse Prince, Executive Pastor here at Grace Outreach Center with Gerald Brooks. Sometimes we get asked the question, how do you respond when events unfold um, like they did last week? I wanted to share with you the message that Pastor Brooks did to our church in hopes that it will be a great template for you to follow in the future. We pray this is something that blesses you and helps you, and if you do find it helpful, we would love for you to subscribe to the podcast. Also, pass it along to those that you think might benefit from the things that Pastor Brooks has to say. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. Enjoy the podcast. It was at 1.30 on uh, Friday morning that I was sitting as the events continued to unfold. I was sitting there knowing that my job was to stand up and to talk to you and to somehow try to uh, take the events that were unfolding to say something to you that was going to make you feel better, to say something to you that was going to make you feel good about life. I've done this a long time. I've stood up after September 11th. I've stood up after the Challenger. I've stood up when our nation went to war. I've stood up when people who went to war uh, came back and they did not come back alive. And I've stood up on so many multiple times. But as I was watching the events unfold, I understood that words were not enough. I didn't realize how last night was going to unfold. But each one of our different services, there's people who typically come to that service and that service alone. But last night, our Saturday service was going to be unique. There were going to be people who were going to be in that service that would usually be in this service or maybe the first service. And I thought, you know what? This is such a unique thing that is unfolding. Because I looked about halfway back in the center section on this side, and I saw a man, his name's Kenneth, and I knew that Kenneth had been a police officer in Detroit for over 30 years. I knew that Kenneth was an individual that had been shot three times in the line of duty. I knew that Kenneth was a man who had told me some of the most fascinating stories about life, about that store owners would just be so happy to see a police officer that they would literally give them food and they would give them things to drink and they would give them clothing. But most of the time, they seldom took it. But that the store owners would just literally say, no, we want to say thanks to you. I remember how Kenneth would just sit there and he would tell me, we would just put everything in the trunk of our vehicle. And when we were going down alleyways and we would find someone who was homeless someone who didn't have a jacket. We would literally open our trunk from the things that had been given to us, and we would give them food. And I thought, here's a man that in the midst of all of his life, he had learned to reflect Christ by being such a giver in most difficult times. But I was thinking about Kenneth, and I was thinking, how do I say something to a man like that? How do I say something on this weekend to an individual like that? But really what I didn't know how to say was that a few months ago, um, he was talking to me about his son. His son pastors a great church in um, Michigan. And he said, Pastor, he said, my wife and I 
Etta, we're thinking about going up there because we want to see our son. But he said, I really don't think we want to drive. And I looked at him. I said, why, why do you not want to drive? He said, he says, I know that if I go from Dallas to there, that I will be pulled over. And I said, well, why will you be pulled over? He said, even though I've served as a police officer for 30 years in an inner city, I'll be pulled over because I'm black. And he said, it'll make me mad and it'll frustrate me. Doesn't matter how many times I've been shot. Doesn't matter. I will be driving through places and I'll be pulled over. At the same time, I looked out there on the same section, there was a lady. She's a beautiful lady who's a part of our church. But this lady, she served as a part of the uh, Dallas SWAT for years. When she came in last evening, uh, I saw her coming and I hugged her. And she said, this is hard because several of the individuals that were wounded were my friends. And I thought, what am I going to say to her? Then I looked down and there was a couple. Now, this couple is a very unique couple in our church. Um, they live over and where Bill Shattuck had built the homes over to the left, right behind where our admin is. And honestly, they have a house that's what I thought when we get to heaven, we got. <laughs> and they apparently got theirs earlier than I got mine. <laughs> but they have um, these three beautiful young boys, and I call them young because they're young to me, but they're young men. I remember when they moved back because they had been a part of our church and they had moved off because of the job, but now they had moved back. Remember the day the mom uh, told me, said, well, I had to call the police chief in Plano. And I said, well, why'd you have to call the police chief? And she said, I had to tell them that uh, my three sons live in this neighborhood. See, they all happen to be African-American. And she said, I needed to tell them that they'd be walking these sidewalks and that be prepared to get phone calls because people will call because they don't think that my sons would be in that neighborhood. So I'm standing up here and I'm thinking about Kenneth and I'm thinking, what do I say to someone who's been a police officer for 30 years and has been uh, shot three different times? What do I say to a man who's done that kind of service and yet still is concerned that if he drives from Texas to Michigan, he's going to get pulled over? What do I say to a lady that was a part of the Dallas SWAT and has friends that are injured? And what do I say to a family that just lives in a great neighborhood in a great house? What do I say? So I was sitting there, I was thinking, I don't have words. There's nothing that I can say to you. I'd like to stand as I have many times and try to make everything sound better. But I can't make it sound better. I wished I could say something that would make it better. But I can't make it better. And at 1.30 in the morning, I was thinking about Jesus. I was thinking about Jesus when he left Jerusalem. And he looked back knowing that when he would return again, it would be the day that he would eventually be crucified. And I thought of Jesus as he looked over Jerusalem and he began to weep and he began to cry. 
And he began to understand that there were going to be in place some events and some circumstances that would not be able to be resolved. And even though people thought that they were doing one thing, that what was going to happen would be another thing. And I thought of Jesus' tears. And I thought that there's a time when words aren't enough, that the best thing you can do is truly weep. I thought of the verse where it says that we're to rejoice with those who rejoice and we're to weep with those that weep. I thought as a minister how many times I've literally done that. And I thought as a minister that as I was thinking about that verse that it doesn't say just weep for those who weep that are this or that or rejoice with those that rejoice that come across this way or that way. It doesn't give any qualifiers to the church. It says that we weep with those that weep and we rejoice with those that rejoice. And I was thinking that Jesus knew that there were times that all you could do was weep. I wrote down a few thoughts. They're not going to make you better. But maybe they'll give you a sense of perspective that God can use them to help you in some way. In Luke chapter 13 and verses 2 and 3, Jesus is going to be confronted with a question. The question is simply this, an event that had been breaking news during his day. You know how we get it, breaking news. This had been breaking news in his day. It involved a group of Galileans. I could go into the history of it, but let me just say the history of it involves some brutality. It involves some things happening to them that were unthinkable and unspeakable. And Jesus was basically asked about those. And Jesus answered and said, Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than others because they suffered such things? If I could just start with this simple thought, life down here will not always make sense. I know we try to make it make sense, but life down here will not always make sense. I know we try to look at circumstances, and we try to get A to B, and we try to make it equal C. We try to get 2 plus 2, and we try to turn it into 4. But the simple fact of the matter is, is that there are things that happen down here that will not make sense. And if I could say it to you this way, our job is that we can offer people a promise of heaven. But I need to remind you, down here is not heaven. I can offer you a promise of tomorrow, but I cannot tell you everything about today. I can offer you an opportunity of saying to you that, hey, that there is a promise that if you place your faith in him, that there is a promise of heaven. But if I could also sort of dig into that promise, I would tell you this. To those of you who believe, to those of you that have opened your heart and expressed faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to those of you that have reached out and said that, Jesus, you are Lord of my life, I would say to you that earth is as close to hell as you will ever get. It is as close to hell as you ever get. And so if you're feeling something right now, understand what you're feeling. You are feeling a proximity to hell. But the promise that I give you 
is that this is as close to hell as you ever get. Then when the words begin to come and it begins to say breaking news, that breaking news is usually going to be as close to hell as you will ever get if your faith is in Christ. But let me say equally, with the same kind of clarity, to those who don't believe, earth is as close to heaven as you get. And what makes me cry the most is the fact that there are people who literally, with the events that unfold, this is as much of heaven as they will ever feel. And can I tell you something? That is scary to me. We offer you a promise of heaven, but heaven's not down here. If you believe, this is as close to hell as you will ever get. But if you don't believe, this is as close to heaven as you will ever feel. It's a sad truth that too often people get caught up in tragic events. And even though they did nothing wrong. See, we are scorekeepers by nature. We want to look at people and we want to say, well, if you had done this, this wouldn't have happened. Well, if you would have done that, this wouldn't have occurred. But Jesus literally answered that day about the Galilean. He said, do you suppose that that somehow they did something worse than someone else to end up where they are today? Do you suppose that they experienced something to be experiencing what they are today? Do you suppose in the righteousness that sometimes we like to project and we like to say, well, if they would have done this different, if they would have done that different, they wouldn't be experiencing what they're experiencing. Jesus answered that question because he says, if you want to know about the Galileans and you want to know, did they do something so bad that they are in this circumstance right now? He says, I tell you no. And sometimes in this society, we find people who are caught up in tragic events and it's not because they did anything wrong. It's because they're in the midst of a circumstance of this thing called earth that isn't heaven. And because it isn't heaven, they found themselves in tragic events. And there's nothing that I'm going to say that's going to make sense of them. There's nothing that I'm going to say that's going to take those events and add any clarity to them so that you can walk out of this room and feel better about society. The simple matter of fact is, is that we live with the reality that Jesus was asked the same kind of breaking news question. And he said, no. But if I could equally say this to everyone, never forget that Jesus gets it. Never forget that Jesus gets it. And when I say never forget that Jesus gets it, he knows what it's like to suffer. See, in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 1, it says, Therefore, since Christ suffered. See, there are people who come to this church and they'll look at me and they'll say, Pastor, you don't get it. You just don't understand. You don't have the proximity. You haven't grown up where I've grown up. You haven't faced what I've faced. You haven't dealt with what I've dealt with. You haven't gone through what I've gone through. You haven't had the looks. You haven't had the look down. You haven't had the put down. You haven't. And can I tell you, I get it that I don't get it. 
But what I'm telling you is it's not about me getting it. It's about the fact that he gets it. Because I don't get it. But he does. Can I tell you something about Jesus? He knows what it's like to be falsely accused. He gets it. He knows what it's like to be wrongfully arrested. He gets it. He knows what it's like to be unjustly convicted. He gets it. He knows what it's like to be sentenced to death when you had done nothing wrong. He understood it. And he knows exactly what it's like to be executed. So when you come to church, I can't tell you that I get it. I can't tell you that I feel it. I can't tell you that I understand it. But what I can tell you is this. He gets it. He gets it. And the only one that matters, whether anyone else gets it, whether you're surrounded by people and you say, no one understands what I feel. No one understands the uh, emotions that I'm going through. No one understands. I'm telling you, the person who does understand, we are told that he is a high priest that has entered into heaven and he has been touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He knows what it's been be like to be on the fringes of society. He knows what it's like to be neglected. He knows what it's like to be abandoned. He knows what it's like to feel those things. And our faith isn't in any individual or organization. Our faith is in him because we may not get it, but he does get it. And what I can tell you this is that we can't make it right. I wish to God that I could go back about eight days and I could take a series of events that happened in Minnesota and Baton Rouge and Dallas and I could go back and I could make them right. And can I tell you something? If some of you had the ability to go back and you could go back and you could just offer one word of instruction, if you could just offer one plea, if you could offer one thing that might have changed the course of events, then you would have done it and you would gladly do it. But the simple truth of the matter is, is that we can't make it right. But what we can do is we can do what's right. See, I can't make it right. I can't make a world around me that is dying because it is consumed with sin because of rejection of God thousands of years ago and that that sin is playing out on levels of course that affect people individually and affect people as a community. I can't change the fact that people make decisions that I wish to God they wouldn't make and I can't change the fact. But what I can do is I can't make things right but I can do what's right. And so, and so in First Thessalonians, it says, look for the best in each other and always do your best to bring it out. See, I can't make everything right, but I can do the best I can to do my best so that I bring out your best, and you can do your best to do your best to bring out my best, and we can take the people in this room and we can do our best. And maybe doing our best doesn't always look clear to us. But let me propose this when it comes to doing what's right. How about be loving in a world filled with hate? 
How about in a world where everyone has legitimate reasons to hate everyone else? When everyone has a litany of things to say, hey, this is my reason for hating. How about being loving in a world that hates? How about just choosing to love, just choosing to be loving in a world where other people have chosen to hate? How about this? How about choosing to be kind in a society that is increasingly rude? Where just conversation becomes increasingly rude, where we can cut the corner and we can go to the edge so quickly and we can begin to say things. How about this? How about not sending out an email that you know it's not going to inspire the best of somebody? How about not sending out political humor that you know is going to cause someone to begin to recall? I know it. I get it. I know no one's going to see it. And I know that this is the last time some of you will ever set foot in this church. I get it. I know how it plays out. But how about just being kind, smiling when you don't have to smile, saying thank you when you don't have to think, say thank you, being respectful when you don't have to be respectful. How about putting your arm around someone that you don't have to put your arm around? How about going out of your way and just doing something, opening a door for someone that you don't have to open a door? How about taking the first step towards someone that you don't have to take the first step? How about just being kind in a society that's growing increasingly rude? How about, let's just do that. How about giving hope to people who are overwhelmed with despair because they see a cycle of life and a behavior of life and they don't see that it's ever going to change and they see that spiral going downward, not upward, and they see that as they look around that there are all these possibilities but none of them give any promise. How about if we give hope? How about if we offer them just a little bit of hope? How about if we're helpful to people that are helpless? How about if you just help someone that's never going to be able to help you, someone that you're never going to see again, but you just help someone because helping's what God did for us? What I can tell you is that words aren't enough. I can tell you that we can't make sense of things. I can tell you in the midst of not being able to make sense of things that there are people that did absolutely nothing wrong and they ended up in tragedy. And I can tell you that Jesus gets it. And I can tell you that we can't make things right, but we can do what is right. And how about this idea? How about praying passionately and intelligently? How about taking those words, well, I'll pray for you, and doing more than just the Christian slogan of saying, I'm going to pray for you. And you know, that's our way of telling someone, well, I'm saying I'm a Christian, and I'm really not going to pray for you now because I really don't really want to pray for you, but I'm going to say I'm going to pray for you because that makes me look good. It makes God sound good because that's what we do because we're in church. But how about doing 
what the Bible says that the fervent, heartfelt prayer of a righteous person avails much. How about going out of our way just to pray? But the problem seems so big and everything seems so challenging and the difficulty seems so great and everything seems so whatever terminology you want to put in it. How about if we just pray? And people say, well, I just don't know what to pray. I just don't know how to pray. I don't know what I should pray. I don't know what I can pray. I just don't have a concept. What do I do? It's just so bad. It's so difficult. It's just spinning out of control. I just don't know what to do. Well, let me offer these as maybe helps. How about pray that God will comfort? That when we don't have words, that somehow God will begin to comfort people. That people that are going through trauma up close and people that are traumatized even from a distance, that somehow God's going to comfort. You know what my prayer's been? My prayer's been for pastors in Baton Rouge because they've got to stand up today and they've got to offer perspective. And I've been praying for pastors in Minnesota and in Dallas because there are pastors who feel the weight of this thing on their shoulders. And I get it. I get it, that that many times we're asked to say things and we can't say the words that are going to put this in the nice package. We can't put it in 142 characters. We can't sift it together. It's not going to tweet well. It's not going to email well. It's not going to Snapchat well. Sometimes we're in places that the little quaint sayings, they're not going to do it, but we can't pray. We can't pray that God will comfort people. We can't walk out of our way to be helpful to people. And so pray. How about this? How about praying from Romans chapter 6 and verse 1, even where it seems like sin is going to win, that God's grace will abound. How about just praying that? Say, God, if I just look at everything around me, if I look at the focus of everything around me, if I look at the events around me, you know what? It just sure looks like that sin's going to win out. But you've given us a promise that where sin abounds, that grace will abound that much more. And maybe we could pray that. Maybe we could be a people who just pray passionately. God, it looks like sin is winning, but you told us that grace can abound. Right now, God, Let your grace abound where it seems like sin, that it seems like wrong, that it seems like bad, that it seems like difficulty is winning out. We're just going to pray. We're going to believe God that God's grace somehow is greater than everything. How about praying this? How about praying that the God of all hope will fill people with hope? Instead of just waking up another day with hopelessness to wake up, feeling like there's some hope that that maybe there's something because he is the God of all hope and he can fill us with hope and he can give us hope. And maybe for people in this room, that's exactly what your prayer needs to be, that you know people that have lost all hope, they've thrown in uh, the towel, they've given up, they've taken the whole perspective. They said, hey, you know what? Life's not going to be better than this, but God wants to give them hope. How about praying that? And how about praying from Psalm 147 in verse 3 that God heals the brokenhearted? 
that God can take people whose lives have been crushed and crumbled, and it seems like that there's no direction, that there's no order, that there's nothing that is a possibility, and that somehow God can begin to heal people. I've seen him do it. I've seen him take parents who have just lost a child, and somehow he heals the brokenhearted. I've seen people when uh, their loved one went off and served our country somewhere, and they didn't come back, and you think there's no way, but I've seen God heal the brokenhearted. I've seen people that have been in tragedy, and somehow God's able to heal them. Maybe we could pray that passionately. And what about praying that God heals? That God can take people who have outward wounds and maybe inward wounds and people that have uh, experienced being wounded and that God's able to restore their health and heal their wounds. Maybe just being a people who understand that we're in a world that we're not going to be able to make sense of everything and that everyone who gets caught up in the nonsense of this world, it doesn't mean that they did anything wrong and that we always remember that Jesus gets it, that he gets it better than any of us get it. And in the midst of that, we can't make things right, but we can do right. And in the midst of that, we can pray with passion and we can pray and we can believe that heaven begins to penetrate where hell is trying to reign. And it may be. And how about this? That we never forget what heaven looks like. That we never forget what heaven looks like. In Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9, it says, And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood, out of every tribe, out of every tongue, out of every people, and out of every nation. Can I tell you something? If you don't come to terms with the fact that heaven's not going to look just like you, heaven is going to irritate you. Can I be honest with you? I know white people that'll be irritated in heaven. But that's all right. I know some black people that'll be irritated in heaven. I know some brown people and I know some yellow people because everyone expects heaven to be just like they want it. Can I tell you, when you get to heaven, it's just not going to be the Gaithers. It's just not going to be, you know, uh, black gospel. It's just not going to be Hillsong going on up there. Can I tell you something? You're going to have to get used to the fact that heaven's bigger than some of you want it to be. If I could say something to some of you, if you're African-American, if you're black, thank you. Because every week when I stand up here, I get to look at a congregation that looks more like heaven because of you. And if you're Asian, and all the ramifications of all the diversity that Asian means, if I could say thank you to you, because I'm the one person who gets to stand up here every week and I get to see what heaven looks like because you come here. And if you're Hispanic, can I say thank you to you? Because every week, 
I get to see what heaven's going to look like. And if you look like me, can I tell you something? Yeah, you even make heaven look better too. But one of the things that I love so much every week is that when I get to stand up here, I get to see heaven. See, we're not the biggest church. We're not the most famous church in this area. There are bigger, badder. There are people who speak better, who communicate better, who have better this, who have better than that. But can I tell you, every week I get to see heaven. And because I get to see heaven, it's because of people like you. Notice some of you give up and you say, no, I don't get to hear the flowery speaking of great African-American communicators. I get it. Do some of you give up that you don't get to hear the smoothness of a Southern Baptist preacher? I get it. Do some of you, you have to give up things because when you look around, we don't look as Asian as you would like it to be? I get it. But what I want to say to you is thanks. Thank you that every week I get to look at a congregation that looks more like heaven. It's not all white. It's not all black. It's not all brown. It's not all yellow. And it's because people have loved Jesus and said, hey, that's what I want to look like. Cody, if you could put the picture up right now. I want you to look at this picture because uh, these are young people in our church. These aren't just any young people in our church. These are young people that since school got out that have either served with our church in the community, have served in our offices at our church, have served right now in services across. And you know what I love about that is they look like everything. I'm so glad that they don't just look like me and they don't just look like you, that they look like everything. Because you know what that says to me? If Jesus does, Terry, that these kids have already realized that you can't take a corner and go run to it and hide in it, that they've said, hey, I want to be a part of something that looks like heaven, and I'm going to be a part of that. And they're serving together side by side. They're walking together side by side. And you know what? The only people that can mess it up for these kids, if it's some of us old people do. looks a lot like heaven to me. Looks a lot like what Jesus came. Can I tell you when Jesus looks at that picture? He loves it that it's different, but they all have one thing in common. They've all been washed by the blood. And so I want to say thank you to you. I want to say thank you that you dare to be a part of something that looks like heaven. When Martin Luther King Jr. stood up and he made this statement, he said that at 11 o'clock on Sunday is the most white day, black day, brown day in all of our nation. He was so true. Can I tell you, if those of us who have been washed in the blood can't get along on Sunday, how is there any hope that it'll be different on Monday?
Never forget what heaven looks like. Heaven's going to look a lot different than you. There's going to be a lot of people who talk different, who think different, but they're all going to have one common thing. They're going to be bought and paid for by the blood of the Lamb, and that's what makes it better. If God came to me and he said, I want you to uh, pastor an all-white church, I'd look at him and I'd say, God, uh, give that to someone else. There are people who would love that job. But I wouldn't. I like looking different. I get to look in the mirror every day. I get to see me. That's scary enough right there. (laughs) Isaiah 6 and verse 1. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Always remember that no matter what happens, God is still on the throne. We don't have a whole lot that we can offer people, but we can offer them a God who is on the throne. See, I pastored that pastor or that person who served in Detroit for 30 years as a police officer. Yet he feels like he'll be pulled over even though he was a police officer. I pastored that white young lady who was a part of Dallas SWAT. It is a privilege to pastor. And what I want to say to you is from a grateful Pastor, thank you for allowing me the privilege of knowing what heaven looks like because it looks like all of us together. Thank you for that.